some kind of unicorn sparkle hat. <laughs> My immune system feels vibrant right now after that chicken soup. Amazing, amazing. And that cake, aw. Oh. Who did the top as far of the cake? Right? See? So you learned something today. If nothing else, you're going to go home and remember that. <laughs> I wanted to let y'all know, um, Destiny asked me, I would love for y'all to connect with me on social media. I'd love to know how you're doing. I want to see pictures of your kids and grandkids and what's going on up here after we are done with this weekend. So please friend me on Facebook. And Destiny, I did open, there you are. Oh, she's here. She got, she got raptured. The rest of us got left. Oh, here. Um, I did open it up so that you can go my personal one too, so you guys can connect that way too. I wasn't trying to exclude y'all, just, you know, occasionally just trying to make sure I know who people are. So y'all go ahead and I will friend you back and we will be friends and we will stay in contact. And then I will be developing that uh, e-blast for you and getting that sent out. Jan's been great to be recording today because I was so, oh yeah, I've got my microphone and my recorder and I had a systems failure the first go around. So she's taking care of us back there and she's all the audio files for us. Thank you. Enough to change 
when it's needed. One of my sons, Jake, the little one that I've shown you before, I have a hilarious clip that I filmed on my phone. We do this thing, maybe we all can relate, where we load up in the car in the afternoon, and it's like we are leaving Egypt and we're headed for the Promised Land and we're gonna drive around Mount Sinai for about 40 years. Because we load all this stuff, soccer equipment, ballet equipment, and tutoring stuff with different kids I'm doing this with, and then I'll probably have a laptop and some work files, and, and we run through our local grocery store and grab salads and sushi and all that because we're going to be sitting in parking lots. I look As I look back over the years of my youth and parenting, I'm appalled at how much time was spent in parking lots waiting for kids to get out of different activities. I probably burned a good 10 years in parking lots alone. So on Saturday, I had the twins with me. We had drop somebody at the dance school, and then we'd run over somewhere else, and we'd run through the grocery store and grab some snacks, and we were sitting in the parking lot at the soccer field, waiting for a couple of the kids to get finished. So Jake and Mercy, the twins, we were parked, car was off, they were sitting in the front seat of that big old 15-passenger van with me, talking over top of each other, as they often do. I mean, they both talk at the same time about completely different topics. Jake, for some inexplicable reason, not because it was needed, had an eye patch on, I'm one of those moms that most people think my kids are dressed up in costumes for Halloween, and actually it's just what was clean when we go out in public. And so for some reason that day, Jake had an eye patch on. And so he was sitting in the front seat, and I heard him say something, and I said, whoa, 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 what did you say? And then I started telling him, because he said, oh, it's like my brain is trying to control me. My brain's trying to control me. It's like trying to be a robot. It's like, Climb over the back of the seat. And I'm like, no, no, oh, my brain. My brain's trying to control me. <laughs> this is the most bizarre piece of video. It's hysterical. My brain is trying to control me. <laughs> and yet at the same time, it's really, really profound, right? Because our minds do have such a huge involvement in how we experience our lives and in how we process our faith. Have you ever thought about that? Get it? Did you ever think about that? But you know, we think about faith a lot as this thing that happens through the heart, but the way we filter things, the way we process things through our minds has an amazing amount to do with the level of how audacious we feel we can be in how we live out our faith. There are things that faith will say, if we walk by faith, we'll do this, and your mind will go, I mean, that's a really bad idea. Or there are times that we filter something, we think it's something that came through our mind, but we do a heart check with it, and we discover it was something that God was directing us to do. I think there's this incredible verse that I have just been spending a lot of time with. Romans 12, 2. It says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is an audacious, promise from a God who saves us by grace that our lives can be transformed by renewing our mind. Wow. The God who seeks our hearts lays out this promise that says you will be transformed by renewing your mind. I love it. Be transformed by the renewing mind. Be transformed by the renewing mind. I love it. Because renew is a pretty broad term, isn't it? To be renewed in your mind? I started really digging into that, started really thinking about that word, what it might mean. And was I audacious enough to believe the promise of this scripture? 
that I could be transformed by this kind of metaphysical sense of renewing my mind. What would that be? And where did Jesus play into that? What did that look like? The first stop that I made was that I discovered that the Greek word for renew is actually a word that God and his wisdom has given us something even more descriptive in modern language that we can grab hold of a little bit better. Renew in the Greek really means to renovate. Ah, now my HDTV generation has shown up. To renovate my mind. Oh. To reboot my mind. Oh, now I got my tech world away. That I understand a little bit more. I understand this idea that I can see the possibility of a house, but it may take some renovation, right? So come on, who sits here and who watches over and over? Fixer upper. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Who watches over and over? Um, love it or list it. Yeah, yeah. Who here is really tired of the people who go on the forum house hunters? I don't know. I don't know if 7,249 square feet for garage is good enough for me. I got those people. I'm, I'm over them. But the other shows I think are really fascinating to us. I think we are wired as human beings to really love a good before and after story. Which is what the Bible is full of. The Bible is the original fixer-upper show, right? It's a huge collection of stories of what God does when people are renewed, when they are renovated, when they reboot. God has to do this in many times and in many ways with different people. Look at when the Israelites came out of Egypt. They were absolutely now no longer slaves. How long did it take them to realize they were not slaves? About four years, about a generation. It took a long time for them to renovate that mentality. We are no longer slaves, and yet for some of us, we keep going around the same mountain because we haven't renewed our mind. The promise has already happened. The grace is already there. The salvation has already been extended. But we haven't renewed our mind. But I think it comes back to, well, how? I want to be audacious enough to believe this promise. I want to be audacious enough to change. Because on the other side of change, wow, transformation is there? Transformation? So as I studied through this question with the Lord and I kept thinking, Lord, okay, but how? Like, I, I, okay, great. Renovate. I can get my head around that. Reboot. Okay. But how? And then I took a step back on the entire chapter of Romans 12 which I love. If any of your individual churches don't have a mission statement yet, could I just tell you to just take Romans 12 and put that on your website? Okay. And when I backed up and looked at Romans 12, I realized it was a recipe card for renewal, renovation, rebooting. We're going to cover quickly about eight areas that if we will begin to inculcate change, then we can be audacious enough to see transformation in our lives because it will renew, it will renovate our minds. The first I find in verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. We have an interesting history in Christianity that while we want to make sure we're disciplining the flesh, it is a magnificent instrument that the Lord has built. And yet there were two early groups 
of those who began to use some parts of Christianity and then created some other little variations on the side, the Gnostics and the Essenes. And both of them were so anti-body. They just believed that the body was horrid and awful and should be done away with. We should be away from the body. And somehow we picked up on some of it, some of our, even today, some of our more modern expressions of faith, that somehow our bodies really don't play a role in our spiritual lives. And yet, over and over in the New Testament, we are told that what we do with these physical bodies matters. Now, we generally think of it in the sense of what we do with these physical bodies matters if you mess up and you sin. But have you ever thought about offering your body as a living sacrifice to God to do with it what He wants? How He wants you to live? What His best is? Now, this is not in any kind of way to load guilt on anybody whatsoever. But how many of you know if you've got a bad cold or flu, how's your thought life? How does your brain feel? Do you feel like you're running at full steam? Do you feel like you're just really focused and in the game, even if your body's sick? Like, we understand the mind, the heart, the thoughts, and the body are connected, don't we? We understand that when we talk about being sick, because I'm sorry, I'm not feeling well, I just don't have the... But if you thought about what do we do to support a healthy brain? healthy body so that your mind can work well. One thing I've definitely noticed for myself, I need to stay hydrated. I need to stay well hydrated and not with Diet Coke, although that would be my first choice, but I couldn't do that. But to stay, just to drink enough water. I'll be up against a deadline. You know what I've been reaching for. Well, now I have a new sin. That red velvet cake right there. <laughs> At two in the morning, I could probably write the next great American novel if I could take that home with me. <laughs> but what do we do? We start getting a little worn down. Who goes, oh, we're going carrots. No, we, we slide over, we get some sugar, right? But then we know that about half an hour later, we start feeling wobbly. And yet, for some reason, we don't seem to equate that, that moment, with understanding what having our bodies as a living sacrifice to God is. What if on this first step of being audacious enough to change, we made a few simple changes that support this temple. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. These things are incredible. Do you know the number of interactions that have to take place just for you to blink and swallow your coffee and readjust your leg cross as you're sitting in your chair? A million different little interactions to make sure your balance correctly, to make sure your respiration is the right thing you need to be, your body adjusting all this as you go. And yet sometimes it becomes one of our last thoughts, and we try to make that spiritual. Well, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. It doesn't matter. If we're going to truly be transformed in our minds, we need to create a temple that is supportive of that to the best that we can. Is that any kind of condemnation if there's a chronic illness or something? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But you and I both know when we're eating cleaner, when we're getting enough rest, when we're getting enough water, when I make myself put down my fourth or fifth or sixth cup of coffee, my mind operates better. And when my mind operates better, I'm better at processing my emotions. And I'm better at keeping a better handle on my anger cycle, my irritation cycle, when I offer my body as a living sacrifice. 
That's one of the first places we can be audacious enough to change. Just pick two things you know would be better. If that's turning up a light a little bit earlier at night, if that's just making sure you drink one more bottle of water a day, be audacious enough to see the kind of renovation that can bring in the mind. Verse 2 gives us a second ingredient. Do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, the pattern of this world. Now again, a lot of people look at that and they go, that's right, a bunch of sinners out there. And I'm in a room full of sinners. We're just saved by grace. It's not that sinners are out there. We are they, right? <laughs> I think what Paul is really trying to talk about here is the pattern of the world that has to do with the way the world thinks. I am amazed right now watching all of the presidential election stuff going on at the Christians freaking out. I don't know if y'all know this, but the God I serve is bigger than anybody who's going to end up in the White House, and he will have his way. And yet I see Christians, they're like, that's it, we're all going down. Well, God wills it, but God gets to be the one with the final say. By the way, I did notice that I, I crossed the Republican River driving into Clayson. <laughs> it's like, wow. Maybe just one of the strong right indication statements. I, I, I have to cross the Republican River to drive into your town. It's amazing. That, that is clear and concise. I got it. You split the sea so I can walk right I think one of the most interesting things in our culture that I'm watching right now when I think about this conforming to the pattern of the world is when I do look at our social media posts. And right now, of course, everything's pretty lit up with politics and world events and that kind of thing. And can I just tell you, it pains me when the people I know of faith seem more negative and more cataclysmic and more disrespectful in what they're saying than the people I know who don't have faith, who are the ones who are going, it'll all work out, it'll be okay, we'll figure it out. It is sad to me that God's kids are the ones who are so much conforming to the drama, the negativity, the lack of hope, the lack of vision, the lack of better days. It saddens me. And yet we're doing it all over the place, on a public platform, all the time. Can I encourage us to just stop that? And have the audacity to change to be a voice of positivity. As for me and my house, we're going to honor who God puts in leadership, even if we don't agree with them. As for me and my house, we are going to honor that God can change the heart of a leader like a water course. It says that in scripture. As for me and my house, we are going to be good citizens of this country, and we're going to uphold and honor those who put in governance over us, as it says in the New Testament, that we are to do. We're going to be audacious enough to change the pattern of this world and to call out when we see a pattern of this world that Christians are getting sucked into in a way that is so negative. Be audacious enough in a season of uncertainty to say, my God has got this, and change the tone of the conversation. Verse 2, that second ingredient, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world on this kind. In verse 3, do not think of yourself more highly. I spend a lot of time sitting across a Starbucks table from various people. And in some of those circumstances, 
if I'm being called in to be something of a spiritual physician, there's a ballad that I want to sing some of them. Not in judgment, but it just kind of goes like this. You are always on your mind. You are always on your mind. I see women who are longing for change. They know things aren't working. But they are so introspective. It is so much about what's going on with them. It is so much about their emotions and so much about their circumstance. And it elevates them in a way that I don't even think they intend for it to be. There's a phrase that I hear over and over in some of these conversations. You know, they'll come to me and say, I don't know what to do, I need help, and I, I really do try hard to listen to hearts first. I don't think we should just jump in with solutions. I think we need to hear people first, right? I really do. But when I believe that I've really heard, that I will say, have you ever thought about possibly doing this? And so many times, those who are having a difficult time executing verse 3 will say, well, the problem with that is. Well, the problem with that is. Six words that I see people get stuck. Six words that keep people from being audacious enough to change. Because instead of being solution seekers, they are solution deconstructors. They're not even going to try. I go through this with my kids really often. We homeschool, and if I wasn't weird enough, and I'm not saying we do a beautiful, fantastic job of it, but so far, we're getting in college, it's working to some degree. And it's funny how the kids will come to me, particularly like with you know, a math problem, and I'll say, well, have you tried this? It's not even gonna work. Are you gonna try? I, it's not even gonna work. I, don't even, I mean, I just, and without even being willing to at least try to walk through the step, they can already tell me what's going to be wrong with it. I get tickled at it, and yet then I sit across the table from somebody really going through some serious life stuff. And they won't even try. And I get where it comes from. I get that there have been attempts that have been disappointing. I get that there has been effort. I get that they're tired. But the challenge with not even trying to seek solution is that we stay always on our own minds. Because we just turn that thing over and over and over, don't we? How many of you remember Rubik's Cubes? How many of you could ever really do them? All right. thousand points to you. I, one of my sons can really, really do it. I mean, he really can. But what he did is he went online and he found a tutorial, and it taught him how to solve it. And then he's just gotten faster and faster and faster. But I have to laugh because I'll get that same game and I'll just keep turning it and turning it. And, you know, I can't ever solve it. Or I get one side solved, but not all the other sides. And then I hand it to him and he just... But as long as I keep turning that thing, I'm not resolving it. And I'm only continuing to feed this monster of self that just only wants to see things that are happening in my world. Here's the thing. It's a kind of narcissism by which we don't intend to say this to God, but we end up saying to God, no, my problems or my sin issue is bigger than all the other solution that you came up with here. The stuff I'm going through can't be solved with this. The stuff that I deal with is actually so exotic, God, so couture, <laughs> that it doesn't resemble any of the other truth that's in this book. We're just not audacious enough to change if that's where we Try something out of the box. 
do something he would never expect. Scoop him up for school for a date day, take him out of school, drive him down, go do something completely different, give it a shot. That conversation you've been trying to have in that marriage, it just isn't working over and over and over. Then scrap that and just do something lighthearted for a switch. That thought pattern that you keep staying in over and over, that depression you keep rolling into, maybe it's time to get some extra serotonin in your system. Somebody told you that it would be wrong to go help get pharmacological presence on that and some help. Well, maybe it's time so that you can get yourself off your mind, so you can go love others well. When the enemy keeps the mirror in front of our face over and over, it just leeches any shot at audacity, audacious faith right out of us, because we are all we see. Verse six is the fourth component of this little recipe that I see. Use your gifts. Use your gifts. But here's a little caveat that I think is interesting. My husband and I had this house in Brooklyn, Oklahoma. It was this little 1970s kind of Georgian style, you know what I'm talking about? Like if you squinted your eyes and you kind of crossed your eyes, you could kind of imagine that maybe at some point it was going to look like Tara from Home with the Wind. If you backed up really far, and maybe if you closed your left eye. And so we were in the process of, of renovating this little house. And it, first of all, how many of you know that if you decide to renovate a house with your spouse, you think you're going to save money? It's really cute. <laughs> you think we're going to buy this house, we're going to get double the house from what we could probably get, and we're going to renovate it as a couple. Because by the time you finish the marital counseling for all the times that you were trying to tile the floor by yourself, you could have hired somebody or probably bought a bigger house. Just saying. At least that was my experience. So we're trying to renovate this house. And little bitty kids, I literally glued myself to the floor, laying wood flooring. That was interesting. Toddlers getting into all kinds of stuff. And I literally cannot move. I'm glued to the floor. That was exciting. It's a great exfoliant building. Anyway, right there, I've been in the bottom for years. All that flesh I left on the floor. But we also had this thing happen where we would visualize what this new room was going to look like, right? We're going to redo the kitchen. We're going to make it, ready? Say it together. Open concept. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> and we're going to have this open concept kitchen from this little thing that's in this little bitty galley. And so my dad was helping me with some of this. He was uh, down from Oklahoma visiting. So we just start ripping the drywall and stuff. And my dad literally was a rocket scientist help put people on the moon, proprietary engine systems on many of the major missiles that protected us during the Reagan era, all that kind of stuff. Smart man, electrical engineering degree, and then all kinds of other specializations. And so he was good about not letting me just tear into a wall that was load-bearing. But you would have this vision of what you thought was going to be, and you start ripping off drywall, and what do you find? Those of you who've renovated a house, what do you find in the wall? Okay, I'm, I'm removing the load-bearing from one of the options. What's your second favorite thing when you start ripping drywall down? Some of you know. Pipes, water pipes, yeah, right up to the second floor. They always show up in the place you would least expect it. Like you'll think, oh, there's no way there would be a water pipe running down through. Oh, yeah, there is. There will be a water pipe running down through here. And so we had to, to try to reroute water pipes takes on a whole new thing. So all of a sudden you rip it down, you realize there's water pipes there, and this vision you had for what this renovation was going to look like has now changed because you got water pipes in for a lot of us spiritually, when it comes to our spiritual gifts, we think that having that spiritual gift, God will use this way. 
And we go, all right. And we start pulling down the drywall for what our vision is going to be for this open concept use of our gift. And we find water pipes where we didn't expect them. So for some of us, we just shut down and we stop using our gift that way. Well, God, you told me that, you know, I just really felt like my gift was for sharing your word and for teaching. And, and the thing is, um, you know, I'm stuck home with these little kids. Or I tried sending out information to see if somebody wanted me to come speak to this thing. Or then we had a blizzard and then nobody could show up. And, well, you might have a water pipe in the wall, but it doesn't mean it's not your gift. It just may take a workaround in a way that you hadn't visualized it. Well, God, I, I really thought that my spiritual gift was going to be this. And then when I stepped out in faith on that, it didn't look anything like what, what I thought it was going to look like. Well, God, I wanted it to be a praise and worship leader for you. And, and then you moved us to a smaller place, and this church doesn't even really like to use the instrument that I'm so great at. So, and you stopped using the gift. Listen. Just because there's a water pipe in the wall does not mean that that drywall wasn't supposed to come off and there wasn't supposed to be a renovation at some level for you to use your gift. It just sometimes ends up looking a little different. And that is okay. <coughs> that is fine. How many of you have walked with the Lord long enough to know that sometimes a gift the Lord uses in a certain way in one season of your life is expressed differently in a different season of your life. And the continuity of the gifting is still there. It's just expressed differently. He assigns you to different people sometimes. But if we won't use our gifts, we won't be able to stay in a place to have the audacity to change because it's critical to the renewing of our minds. How many of you know that when you get to operate in your gifting for the Lord, whether that is for one person, 40 or 600, whatever that is, when you are operating in your gifting, what happens to your mind when you're doing what God equipped you to love doing? Does everything just green up? I love the centerpieces that Maureen developed, and part of what I love, if you'll look, there's a little green leaf coming out of that ice. And first of all, I think it was genius to put ice on the tables because I think it just like stole something out of the ice quotient. So it's not out there, it's in here, which is awesome. But I love that it speaks to, particularly in a part of the country that sees winters that are hard and sees living things seem to clamp down for a few months and then come back to life. There are seasons with your gifting that that green is always there. Sometimes it may seem more in blossom, sometimes you may be going into a bit of a hibernation appropriately for the, for the Lord to put the kind of things and nutrients and growth into you that need to be there. But it's always there. It grieves me when people hit a certain age and they stop really exploring what their gifting is. Some of the most impactful people in the Word of God are 80 plus years old. Or they don't come into the expression of their gift until maybe they're 40. They really begin to hit their stride after several decades. Don't ever let the pattern of this world tell you that you don't have something to offer. Don't ever let the world tell you that. Verse 9, our fifth ingredient to be audacious enough to change. Be sincere. It seems so basic, doesn't it? And yet when we are insincere, 
when you're super sugar sweet in that one meeting that you get in the car and drive home, and we, we talk about having roast pasta for dinner. Everybody got so not that message today. I'm just kind of, but you were sugar sweet to him when he was still in the building. Sincerity is so critical for the health of our minds. When we are insincere, we psychologically create something <coughs> called cognitive dissonance. It's where our hearts and our minds are disagreeing, okay? And it can absolutely stymie us. Plus the fact that I think the Lord looks at insincerity, and Jesus talks about it a lot, you know, you praise me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. He tells the Pharisees, you're whitewashed too. It all looks good on the outside, but there is only death and decay on the inside. That is insincerity. Now, I do believe in the adage that our mom has taught us, you can't say anything right, don't say anything wrong. Okay. But sincerity is that place where what we are thinking matches what we're willing to say. There may be times we just need to not say anything in the interest of being sincere. But if we are sincere in our desire to love each other, to follow that great command of Jesus, to have compassion and love one another, then our sincerity needs to match what's going on with that. And when it doesn't, it creates, as we've said, cognitive dissonance. And what begins to happen is your mind and your heart are warring. And a mind and a heart at war will not find renewal, will not find renovation, and will not be transformed. I know a lot of people that they do a lot of things in their faith walk that are really admirable. But in their private lives, they're kind of catty. And they're kind of gossipy. And so the sincerity is missing. And they never seem to get much further in their walk with the Lord over this one ingredient, this lack of sincerity. Be sincere. Be sincere in how you walk out your life. I love this particular ingredient, the sixth ingredient. It's in verse, it's in verse 11. Never lacking in zeal. I have been blessed with a husband who is super enthusiastic about, like, everything. And I used to think it was weird. Still think it's a little weird. But I think it's very admirable. He gets really excited about stuff. A lot of stuff is just a party. That's so cool! That's so neat! It's one of the reasons people love to be around Mike, because here's what I've noticed. We have a pattern of this world that just seems to think it's cool to be pretty unimpressed by We've got what I call meh disease. Everything's just meh. It's just kind of gray, but cool, whatever. Eh, neat, whatever. And we accept this as a church culture. My husband and I were in Las Vegas. He was speaking, he does a lot of public speaking. He does this big international thing. So we went to Vegas. I had not been in years and years and years. I don't need to go again for years and years and years after this trip. <clears throat> but we were in Vegas. And this is supposed to be, right, the most amazing place, and it's just bedazzled and sparkles and everything bigger than life and everything overdone and over, 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 over. And there's supposed to be no consequences for being, right? What happens in Vegas? And so we're in Vegas, and Mike is smiling. He's like Buddy the Elf walking through New York. He likes smiling, smiling's his favorite. He's like, hi, how you doing? Doing well? Hi, hi. And sometimes people respond like, hi, and some people, people jump back like he's a serial killer. So it just kind of depends on people's take on that. So we're walking, and of course now, having been married to him as long as I have, and you just pick up on these things. I'm like, hi, 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 hi. It's not my normal, really, you know, internal self, but I've just been trained really well. Hi, hi. So we're like, walk, like we're running for Mr. and Mrs. America. Hi, how you doing? Good to see 
like the hair. I mean, it's just all the way down the strip in Vegas. And people are passing us, and I'm realizing that people just look like this. We are supposed to be in the top place ever for what our culture says is the most exciting, the most over the top, the most bodacious. That's where we're supposed to be. And people look like they're getting ready to go in for colonoscopies. And I can't figure out why everybody's just so mad. But then I walk into church settings, and hear me, I'm not talking about your personal expression during worship, okay? I'm not talking about that. Whether you're very expressive or you're very contemplative, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your church lobbies. Or I walk into a church lobby, and I'm like, hey! And people are like, hey. Aren't we the victorious of the Lord? This is so exciting. We have bought into that meh. It's no wonder that we have difficulties being contagious as Christians, because we just don't seem to show we have anything worth touching. Never lacking in zeal. Never lacking in zeal. It can renovate a room. It can renovate a culture. I was somewhere recently with my daughter, Mercy. It was some really basic restaurant. I can't remember where we were. But A, this is a statement on how much we get out as a family. Sad. B, um, it was a great example of not allowing meh to happen. This was not some kind of four-star restaurant and cloth napkins and on and on. It just happened to be the kind of place that instead of eating ketchup packages, you could serve yourself ketchup in the clear. And Mercy was like, whoa, this place is fancy. <laughs> and there were two different options for drying your hands. There was the blower display, and have y'all seen the blade blowers at the Costco? And Mercy was like, whoa. <laughs> this is so and it was so fun to get to see it through her eyes again, as an eight-year-old, to see what was impressive to her. And to think about, wow, we live in a country right now where if I want to, I can run to a restaurant, I can serve myself ketchup from tomatoes that I didn't have to grow, harvest, smash, or mix with whatever you have to mix. It just, it just shows up as like, man, I need ketchup. Why am I not dazzled by this? It's like people who brag about having to go to the airport and having to go through security and having to get on a plane. There's a comedian who talks about, are you missing the fact that you're putting your body in a steel tube and you're traveling thousands of miles in just a couple of hours? It's a miracle. And you're grumpy because it takes a little while to go through security. We have so bought into men. Christians should be the happiest, most cheery, most engaging, most kind, and I'm not talking about again, I want my introverts in the room to feel good. You can be absolutely introverted and smile really big and be engaging. What is your countenance? And how would it change things? <coughs> I don't believe in an outside in the okay? But psychologists tell us that if we ourselves will just simply put on a posture of being smiling and pleasant, we give ourselves and serotonin. How amazing is that? Think about the way you stand if you're hunched over. What do you tell your kids when they're having a hard time studying? Yes, please, stay in that horrifically slouched. We wanted to buy you a back brace. Yeah, like really crunched down. <laughs> yeah, what do we tell them? Sit up straight, you know? Get some air in the lungs. Notice your countenance. Never lacking in zeal. Bring vivacity to your life. That's what Jesus exemplified. 
simple message. Seventh ingredient, verse 12. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Who loves the cooking shows where they have those little bitty glass? Like I always think I want to cook like that. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my spices and little glass things. I'm going to measure them perfectly. It's going to be so cute. And then I'm going to, and I'm just going to dump like they do on the shows. And that's not how it goes. But I have to get out my Costco thing, the spices. Because <laughs> everything we buy is about this size and that. And then I can't find the little glass bowls because the kids took them out to the play yard and they were growing roly poly cultures in them. So I never get to do it that way. But when I visualize this ingredient, joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, I see these little three spice jars that we're putting into this mix, this recipe of renovation and rebooting our minds. Because, you know, it's the spice that really brings something, the flavor of something to life, right? And when we can add into this mixture, when we can add into this idea that we're going to have zeal, and we're going to be doing healthy things for our body. And we're going to avoid the, the patterns of this world. And we're going to put ourselves in our right place, in the right perspective. And when we can add these great little spices of joyful and patient and faithful with their expressions and hope and being patient in affliction and in prayer, it just brings the flavor of a renewed mind to life for us, doesn't it? Joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. And then, although there are more ingredients, I think this one is so very powerful. So I'm calling the eighth ingredient, the last one that we're going to talk about, is to give. Generously to give. Generously. There are moments that we think of this, I think, in context of giving to the house of the Lord and our tithes and offerings. I think that's good. I think that's really good. But I think we have opportunities to give and we don't even realize it. I love that you brought up the God who sees me. It's one of my favorite, favorite passages. It's in Genesis 16. And Hagar goes into the desert because she is now the servant. She is carrying this baby for Abraham and Sarah. And Sarah just, I don't know, she just wasn't thinking ahead a lot that maybe she might be a little jealous when she realized the woman who was sleeping with her husband got pregnant by her husband, but she was keeping around to also be, you know, strutting the floors. Maybe that would be a bad combination. Sarah had just not processed that. Today I would tell her to go watch that Sister Wives show, and maybe she'd catch a flare for what was going on. But at the time, she didn't. And so she and Hagar, surprisingly, began to just despise and hate each other. And so Hagar goes into the desert. Now, she's a slave woman. She has no rights. She has no future. She owns no property. She has no family. She has nothing, 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 nothing. She is the unseen of the unseen because she has no position, no power, no leverage in her culture. And it's there that she meets God. And God speaks over her. I see you. I see your child. I have destiny for you. I have purpose for you. I see you. And she gives God a slave woman with no, nothing on her plate to offer. She gives God a nickname that gets recorded in Scripture for all eternity. Elroy, or some pronounce it Elroy. And it means the God who sees me. One of the most powerful things you have to give is to be God's eyes on somebody. To see somebody that nobody else seems to see. It's such a cry of the human heart. Do you see me? Do you know I'm here? Are you aware of me? I had 
experience. I was in Walmart and I was checking out and so I go to Walmart or Costco or whatever. I actually have a way to like pull two carts. Here, the biceps. I guess I can do a whole fitness show on actually grocery shopping for a family of 10. And so as I'm going through this line, I'm trying to monitor the two carts and how many kids and yes, I am a mom who puts my kids on leashes. Um, I believe in it and, and you should too. Um, I realized that the checker, as I'm trying to throw my stuff, there's a gal in front of me checking out and she's just trying to get through and the checker is crying. But she's, she's still moving, I mean, she's still doing her job, right? She's crying, but she's getting this lady checked out, looks up in a tremulous but, but still functional voice, tells her the total, the gal says she has to shut up. And here I am with my two carts and I'm just like, this girl's still crying, like she's still crying. And I'm thinking, I don't want to get her in trouble. Like, I don't know if this was an interaction with a boss or with an employee. And she clearly is trying to keep going. So I don't have any business stepping into the situation and making her just break down, right? That's not going to really help her. Helps my need to be needed button, but that's not helpful to her. And so I just stood there as I'm checking out, and I'm like, Lord, just what, what, what? I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit said, chocolate. I'm pretty sure. And I reached over, and the last thing that I had to check out was a chocolate bar. We bagged everything, we put it in the cart, and I walked over to her and I said, This is for you. I don't know what's going on. I don't have all the answers, but God sent you and Now, at the end of the story, that she chased me to the parking lot and told me she'd been considering an abortion, and I stopped it and I saved her life. No. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but that day somebody saw her, and I had a tight grocery budget, but I had enough to give a crying checker a bar of chocolate, and so I gave. Now, for every one time I might hit that ball, there's the ten times I miss. I'm just busy. I don't really notice. I don't have time to listen to drama. I just I gotta go, 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 go. But when I look at renewing my mind, I know one of the key ingredients is to always be looking to give, not to take. To be willing to extend and not to retreat. Because when I give and when I extend, I'm saying that I do serve the God of all the cattle and all the hills with all the resources. And my mind is renewed afresh. That my present worries and my little concerns and the way I think spreadsheets should lay out, all of that can just be dissipated when I am audacious enough to change how I'm thinking. When I'm audacious enough to change the very pattern of my thought life. When I'm audacious enough to change and to renew my mind. And audacious enough to believe. Father, as we wrap up these ideas on audacious faith, this big, bold, beautiful word, it's very conceptual. Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that every person here walks out with something that they can apply today to their lives as an expression of their audacious thinking. 
us not be fearful that these things take progress and take intentionality. Father, we know we don't have to all walk out of here a flame. Maybe some of us will. But Father, let us be faithful for that small spark that you ignite to do what Paul told Timothy to do, to continue to feed it and to grow it and let that become a very, very bright flame so we can be light to a very dark world. Father, our prayer today is to be bold and for you to teach us in the inner workings of the personalities you've given us, the quirks you've given us, the giftings you've given us, exactly what that means for each of us. Let us be audacious enough to activate. Let us be audacious enough to believe. And let us be audacious enough to change so that more and more we grow to look like you. In the name of Jesus, we